Welcome to the Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss travel in South Africa and beyond for persons with disabilities and special needs with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting, accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. And thanks for joining us on today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan, newly back from a fantastic few weeks in Paris and Normandy in France, and ready to leap back into the studio to start producing more podcasts on accessible travel for you. In today's interview, we're talking with Razia Hisham who shares with us some of the experiences of traveling as a family with a special needs child. Razia's daughter, Nira, is 15 years old and lives with cerebral palsy. And together, they've traveled extensively as a family. Razia shares some of the the triumphs, the, the importance of travel for a family with a child with disability, and also some of the challenges that they've experienced through their extensive travels. Then, on the Travel Tech Corner, I'm going to be sharing two resources with you that will help with the planning and that all-important research to help make certain that you don't have any of those unpleasant surprises when you start on your travels. Before we dive into the interview, I have a request. We would love for you to share this podcast with anyone that you believe would be interested in what we're talking about. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. It really will help us to be seen and be visible to more travelers with disabilities. Okay, now it's time to meet Raja Hisham and to chat about Nira and the travels that they've had as a family with a special needs child. A Different Way of Travelling podcast, we're joined by Razia Hishan. Welcome to the podcast, Razia. Thank you very much, Lois, for inviting me. Well, it's great to have you with us. So maybe we can start off just by asking you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and who you are. I am a mom. I'm a wife. I'm a full-time carer to Noura, my daughter. She's 15 years old. She's diagnosed and classified as profoundly disabled and cerebral palsy. She's our angel, our titanium warrior. And for the most part, our our lives revolve around her. She's taught us so much. She's, for me in particular, she's pushed me to challenge um, a lot of things about myself, to take on adventures I may not otherwise have considered. And I think she's drawn out strengths in us that we never knew we even had. I'm curious about the name. You you call her your titanium warrior. Can you tell us a little more about that? 
Nura had a um, spinal fusion procedure in 2015 due to um, severe scoliosis. She now has two titanium rods um, and her spine is now fused to those titanium rods and 19 titanium screws. So she has got quite a lot of titanium in her. Wow. <laughs> Hence, she's our titanium warrior. Okay, wow. That must be quite something. Can you then tell us a little bit about the journey that you've taken with your daughter, with Nura, in just in, in, uh, in terms of your life, the life that you've led? Yes. Um, so it's been 15, 15 and a half years now. Um, obviously, we had quite a traumatic start um, sad start regarding the birth and diagnosis and everything that followed. Um, it's been difficult. We know hospitals very well. We know many hospitals. We have learned um, lots of medical terms. My husband can read medical charts <laughs> and test results with great understanding. Um, we know, I think, way too many specialists and um, we can actually give people medical advice, which we don't, just yeah. generally. There's certain legal issues about things like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So we listen, um, but we actually, we know what people are talking about. Um, we've shed lots of tears. We pray a lot. We feel her pain. We obviously second guess ourselves, and that's also part of the journey. But we've also had lots of moments of complete joy. Um, and happiness. Um, our ultimate goal has always been to provide Nura with a comfortable life. And that is what we try to do to the best of our ability. Um, and part of that comfortable life means that she and us need to be part of our broader world. And first our community and then our broader world. And there are times when she does need to be sheltered and protected when she's immunocompromised. But for the most part, she's out there in the world when we are able. Um, today, she's not feeling too well, so we know we're not going to push her today and not force her into something that's uncomfortable for her, for example. Mm -hmm. But that is our journey. And so a lot of time we have to take it day by day and even though we do lots of adventures and we do lots of fun things, um, for the most part, our life is very routine, very scheduled, making sure everything is done according to what would work for Nura. And even within our travels and our journeys abroad and locally, we still try and maintain all of those things for her. Can you perhaps tell us some of the travels and the adventures that you've had as a family? Yes, um, our first attempt at traveling was in 2008 when she was four years old. Um, we did uh, our first road trip. We hadn't done any traveling with her before this, so we thought a road trip would be an easy way in. Um, of course, we literally packed the entire house in the car. Um, the only thing we didn't have was a microwave and a fridge, and I think if we could have, we would have taken that as well. <laughs> Um, but what the trip showed us is that we could travel with her. It taught us how to manage, how to manage her, how to manage her equipment, what we need as essential things, what we require for her. And obviously, as she's grown, all of that has grown as well in terms of equipment and what we need. But um, it told us that we could and that we could try. Um, also, by the time she was four years old, we were satisfied with her health in terms of her being stable enough 
for us to take her away from her home, her environment. And I think all three of us then being brave enough to take on a trip. Um, in 2009, we did our first long haul flight to Turkey for a dolphin therapy program in Marmaris, which was amazing. Um, and just to add that we researched that trip, that adventure, probably for more than two years before mm. we decided on what we were doing. The trip obviously pushed our boundaries. It taught us so much then about flying with a special needs child, um, how to manage her, how to manage ourselves, how to be patient, how we needed to speak to other people for them to understand what our needs are and what her needs are. And since then, we've done all kinds of travel adventures. We've had some really good experiences, some touchy and dodgy experiences. Um, but once we've done them and you come back home, there are some things that I honestly still can't believe we've actually done and accomplished with her. Um, because there are even people who say to us as we're traveling, wow, this is amazing what you're doing. Um, and sometimes we take it slightly more for granted because we are almost so rehearsed in the way that we do it because we have things almost down pat. You know, we have lists, we have um, a routine in who does what, um, who takes control of what. So um, even though it might look easy, it certainly isn't. Um, so some of Nura's adventures, for example, have been she's para, been parasailing in Mauritius. Oh, she's traveled in a tuk-tuk in India. She's um, sat in her chair being carried from a ship to a tender boat taken to the Portuguese islands and then being pushed on the sand in a chair. So we've, we've pushed a lot of boundaries for ourselves and for her. It sounds as though Nuris had some experiences and some travel adventures that many so-called able-bodied people haven't dared to have. So that's absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. <laughs> so let, let's dig a little bit deeper then into the logistics of how you travel. Mm -hmm. You yeah. say you do a lot of research. What does that research look like? Um, it's, it starts with us having conversations. So we obviously, there are ideas thrown out about what we could potentially do. Um, some things seem impossible at the time of just starting to discuss it. But from my side, as well as from my husband Ayub's side, um, we start Googling. I read travel blogs um, related to whatever topic we, we're looking at. I read... Um, uh, travelers' reviews. I read um, Facebook posts that people um, who have special needs and disabilities have written. Um, we start then actually looking, digging deeper into hotels, transport, contact him, contacting them directly. Um, I might contact 15 to 20 different hotels, contacting travel agents as well, just to see if they have any contacts, looking at what the transport systems are in the place, looking at airlines, looking at flights, night flights, day flights. Um, what the connections would be, what the transits would be, what the layovers would be. So all of these things take a lot of time. And I think one of the challenges for people traveling, especially with special needs, kids and people with different um, disabilities, you need to do the research and the homework. And of course, things can change as you are busy doing this research, but if you lay the groundwork, if you've done the, the legwork before 
um, a lot of those nasty surprises are not there. Even though things do happen, sure. But if you've gotten as much information as you can, that's already a really big hurdle that you've overcome. I think you're so right that the preparation is perhaps a different kind of, um, there's a different level of research that we need to do as persons with disabilities and those traveling with persons with disabilities and children particularly. But I think the the research and with the amount of information that's available nowadays, it certainly made things a lot easier than it might have been, say, one generation ago or even 20 years ago. No, absolutely. Uh, my husband and I traveled, um, so we, you know, say, 23 years ago or so, and there was no internet, there was no Google, there was no cell phone um, that you could just use to look up things quickly. There was no internet cafe. You literally had your um, information center wherever you landed, where you gathered your information. You had your kind of let's go Europe, let's go India, let's go Turkey, whatever. You know, the books um, that you then bought and traveled with. And of course, those books were written and researched and could be maybe two, three years old by the time they went to print. So things would have changed. Yeah. So it is a lot easier today. I think that really does make travel such, it, it, it makes it a different experience for us. And of course, maybe 20 years ago, even 15 years ago, the needs of travelers with special needs weren't as um, as, as much thought of or, or taken into consideration when planning those kinds of books as well. Absolutely. Um, if I just think back now to uh, 2003, 2001 and 2003, we were in Australia. And I obviously did not take note of any accessibility concerns at the time because Nura hadn't been born yet. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on my radar. But when I now read um, a blog of one of the parents who travels with her child within Australia for the most part, and they write about what's happening and the accessibility that is being introduced and um, all kinds of uh, innovations that are being added to places. And I think, but I was there and I never took note of that. But now they have this and they have that. And, you know, it would be possible to actually take Nura there now. So maybe Australia is on our cards. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the, the beauty of travel as well. Suddenly things are changing, things are improving service providers are becoming more aware of our needs and are making things more accessible for us. Yes. So let's look a little bit more deeply at some of the challenges Mm -hmm. that you've experienced as people traveling with a special needs child. What are the types of challenges that you found? Well, uh, obviously, firstly, if you are flying, uh, make sure that you check out what the airline's prerequisites are. Um, they are prepared to help you, but obviously they do need to know. And you need to be specific. So part of the challenge is you being specific in making them understand what it is that you need. You cannot assume that your explanation is clear for a person who has no, uh, you know, they they have not met a person in a wheelchair. They have not, not met someone, someone who's visually impaired, um, someone who has sensory issues, etc. So you have to make sure that you prepare them. And don't assume that because two months ago you sent them an email that they are prepared for you for your flight tomorrow. Make sure that you contact them again closer to the time. 
So that is one of the challenges because gate crew and check-in crew and the crew on board all have different ideas of what you are saying. So they are not always all on the same page. So one of the challenges, for example, for us is that we want Nura to be able to be wheeled to the door of the plane in her chair. Then she can either, when she was smaller, we were able to carry her on board, but now she needs to be placed into a cabin wheelchair and then taken into the cabin of the plane. So that works out fine, and her chair needs to go into the hold and then be brought back to the gate once we deboard, once we deplane. That is an issue. That on many occasions her chair has been taken into the terminal, and we have then been forced to they want to place her in an ordinary wheelchair. She's not able to sit on her own in the sta- in those standard sort of custom wheelchairs that the, that the airlines provide or that the airports provide. So one of the challenges is that I then have to sit in the wheelchair with her on my lap mm. with someone pushing both of us in the chair. So then the challenge is they will tell you, but we have a weight requirement of X, Y, Z. What am we supposed to do now? The child cannot sit in this chair that is oversized for her. So then you have a fight on your hands or they need to bring her stroller. Sometimes the passenger assist units don't work. We've already had, we've been at smaller airports where the passenger assist unit doesn't work and they have no air bridges. So they've literally carried her in her wheelchair up the stairs. Which Which must be quite traumatic for her and for you. With the possible risk. You know, once you've gone, you've gone through all of the possibilities and you're landing and this is the only possibility now and you need to get on the plane, in the end you just say, well, let's just do this. Yeah. And let's just do this as safely as we possibly can. Yes. So some of those, that those are your challenges on board. Accommodation is a challenge with a child who is now grown she's almost an adult uh, and of adult size accessible or universal universal access rooms don't sleep three people they only sleep two people so there's an assumption there that it will be one person with a disability and one caregiver and not a family Mm -hmm. so it's very often then that we're not able to get the universally access accessible room which means we don't get the bathroom that's accessible So then that becomes a challenge, that in the shower you don't have a seat. So we then have to wangle something, and eventually you kind of sit with the garden chair, potentially, in your shower. If there's a bath with a shower over the bath, you now have to figure something out. We have, in recent um, years now, started traveling with a bath board to put over the bath, but you also then hope that the bath is of standard size, mm. that the bath fits the bath and that you can then be seated under the shower. But all of these are our challenges. They're, they're not, everyone's challenges are different. Some people prefer the bath. Some people prefer the shower. Some So these are, again, all of the questions you need to ask when you are doing the research. Yes. Um, and you need to ask these questions in detail beforehand and double-check them before you arrive again. Um, one of our biggest challenges in traveling generally in going out in Cape Town, in South Africa, internationally, is that a lot of our kids are uh, not able to use a standard disabled toilet. So firstly, disabled toilets are sometimes so small you can't even fit a wheelchair and a carer 
and the person in the toilet. There's not space to turn, to move, the to transfer the person. People think if it says disabled and there's a grab rail, a handrail, that it's a disabled toilet. But it requires space. It requires a bit more thought. And children like Noura and adults who are not able to use the toilet, they need to be changed. We are left with the choice of either you don't change your child or you put your child on the floor. So if you think of any public toilet, you would not put your handbag on the floor. You don't want to put your shopping on the floor. I mean, you barely want to put your feet on the floor in the toilet with yeah. shoes on. So these are our challenges. Um, in Canada last year, we were forced because obviously she's eating and drinking the same as us. She has toileting needs the same as us. She needs the same privacy, the same modesty, the same opportunities and same space to be able to be taken care of the way we are. Um, and I had to then decide whether we leave her in this wet nappy. Do I change her in a public space with all of these people or do I try and put her on a baby changing table and take the risk of this baby changing table being able to take her weight? And because of the position of the baby changing table, I was taking this chance. It's in the ladies' room, so I had to do this by myself. Her legs were then over the basin as the changing table was next to the basin, I put her bag there to put her legs and her knees on. Um, and I had to try and maneuver her on a baby changing table. I mean, she's all she's about 1.35 meters tall. So these are some of the challenges, but it's not only with traveling, it's locally. It's going to tourist places in Cape Town in South Africa as well. So that is a big challenge. It's one of the things that I'm seeing more and more um, communication and, and information on blogs and Twitter feeds and things about is the need for adult changing tables. Have you, you know, what, what is your understanding of the need, the, the provision? Are places becoming more aware? And what can we do to make that awareness make people take that more seriously and understand how big a need it is? I think our, our start is with um, places, public spaces in general. Um, so these are malls, these are the airports, they are um, uh, Greenpoint Urban Park, for example, which is a fabulous space. Mm. Um, talking to Cape Town Tourism, South African Tourism, um, the Tourism Grading Councils, um, because they are grading places on whether or not they qualify as having disabled um, spaces. And I think those are first spots. I've started a Facebook page for Changing Places South Africa, and I've posted a couple of things on there. We've gotten quite a good response from the public as well. We're taking note of that. And so I think that's where we need to take it further um, from there because people don't think about this. Their children go till about two years old, and then they are toilet trained. So after that, no one's giving it a second thought unless it touches you personally. Yeah. Do you find that most of the places that you are talking to about this issue are willing to listen? Is, has anything, have you had any successes so far? Uh, I haven't had any successes. The places that I've spoken to listened. Um, but I think part of their thing is that they've already got a structure in place. And it's obviously going to cost them money to now change the structure. So I think there's a lot more motivation required from our side, from parents, 
Um, and I think that is something that I personally, I do need to follow that up. And I have been, I've fallen short on that myself. There are only 24 hours in a day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, realistically, it just seems to me that you can change a child, a young child or a baby mm-hmm. on an adult changing table, but you cannot change an adult yes. safely yes. and comfortably yes. on a baby changing table. Yes. And that also, it stops and prevents people from going out because if everyone's going to be eating, drinking, however the person is being fed, whether they're tube fed or orally fed or whatever, at some point you need a toilet. Very, very true. (laughs) And that's something that pretty much all of us do. (laughs) Yes. I'd like to just mention one of our other challenges, which also came up um, in an experience that we had, where our hotel room was on the 15th floor and was a very, Mm. very nice accessible family room with a wonderful bathroom and could sleep four people. So that worked out really well. But we never thought about the fact that our hotel room was on the 15th floor. And there was then a fire in the building in the lower floors, on the lower floors. And obviously when there's a fire in the building, the lifts don't work. You are then required to use the stairs. And how do you get a person in a wheelchair down 15 flights of stairs? Oh, my word. So she had to be carried down by two people, carrying her down in her chair. So this is a lesson, again, in the research, which I now ask, and I actually hadn't before, which floor is the room on? Because in an emergency, what is the evacuation plan for the person Mm. in the wheelchair? And another thing that we learned from that experience is that you need to have, with special needs people, with people who have any ability to need anything specific, you need to have a go bag ready to go in any emergency, which we also, at the time, I had actually just started unpacking her bag. This happened in the evening, after she'd had supper, after she'd had a shower. She was wet with a towel on her head, sitting in her pajamas. And I'd started unpacking her bag. So her medication wasn't in the bag. I had one nappy in her stroller, some wipes, one bottle. But we actually walked out of that room without her medication. And she's epileptic. And we didn't have access to the medication till the next morning. Mm. So the lesson to us now is we have a go bag ready whether we're traveling or whether we're at home, because anything can happen. So you need to, that is another thing that is um, a challenge to make sure that you are prepared in any eventuality. That must have been an extremely frightening experience for you, but hopefully through the experience that you and your family had, that our listeners will learn from, from that and it will save other people from the same experience Yes. Yes. And just a fun thing attached to that, which didn't happen to us, but for everyone, if you're ever going to the pool, make sure you have a towel and some clothes with you or a wrap or something, because there were people who were at the pool who just had their bathing costumes and nothing else with them. Some of them had a towel, but they were then literally standing out in the street with only a bathing costume. Oh, my word. With a fire. (laughs) (laughs) So, lesson... Take a wrap, take a T-shirt, take something else with you to the pool. That's useful advice, I think, for anyone who's traveling. <laughs> yes. Let, let's look at then at the advice that you would give to a service provider who is interested in making their offerings more accommodating for those of us mm-hmm. with special needs. What advice would you give them? What is Where should they start? 
Well, firstly, we know that it might be difficult for them and might seem daunting when they first think about making their venues accessible and inclusive to everybody. Yes, it takes money, it takes effort, it takes thought. But I think if they give it some time, the returns for their clientele and their business is enormous. Um, Firstly, I don't think they should be afraid in listing their venue as accessible, for example, with Accessible South Africa. They may not be able to tick all of the boxes in terms of what we would consider 100% accessible. Nothing is going to be 100% accessible because everybody has different needs. So what works for you, Lois, might not work for me. What works for someone else in a wheelchair might not work for another person who has the same, theoretically the same disability in a wheelchair. So everything is relative regarding that as well. But the point of trying and getting towards an accessible venue um, and service provider is that you also then get great feedback from families. And I think they need to listen to people's feedback. And something that they really should consider is actually consulting people who are disabled, who would be using the facilities, who can give them actual real-life feedback, if you want to call it that. Because, of course, we have laws in South Africa that state that pe- that places have to be accessible. So places have a parking spot that says disabled, and they have a little painting in it, and they have a toilet with a grab rail, as I said, with a handrail, and then it's accessible. But if you actually speak to people, allow people to come into your premises and check and test for themselves, that would go a long way to them actually making their premises better and more easily accessible for people. I think also, you know, service providers may not understand what a tightly knit community we are as travelers with disabilities, Mm. because we talk, we share information and we use the information we find to help us make our decisions on where we're going to go, what we're going to do, where we're going to stay. So any, any, information about a place that we find does work for us, we're going to be doing a lot of publicity around that just in terms of yes. our own um, yes. our own networks. Exactly. And so where should they start? Have the conversation. Start speaking to people, get in contact with people, Accessible South Africa, Worry on Wheels Foundation. Just as a start, um, the, the network is broad and th- I don't think there's a shortage of people to have this conversation with. Absolutely. And there are always those of us who are more than happy to assist where we can. Yes. Razia, where can people contact you if they want to reach out to you, if they want to find out more about the adult changing tables and the work that you're doing, any of the travels you've done, or about your your life with your wonderful daughter? How can they reach you? Where should they go? Um, It's perfectly okay. I think just uh, we can add my um, email address onto the podcast information and people are most welcome to email. Do you want to give that email here now? Yes, I can do that. Um, it's Razia, R-A-Z-I-A dot Hisham, H-I-S for sugar, H-A-M at gmail.com. Great. And you mentioned a Facebook page about changing places. Would you like to share that, be the name of that page as well? It's Changing Places South Africa. Great. So we can hopefully get more people to link onto that Mm -hmm. page as well. A final question then. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to other families who have a child with a disability 
what advice would you give them to inspire them to start the experience of traveling? Uh, the Firstly, yes, it's scary. Um, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. But the benefit um, to you, your family, um, to siblings, if there are siblings, is so worth that effort. Um, the experience of exposing your child to different things, different parts of the world, different communities, different people, different experiences within South Africa, within Cape Town, is is unbelievable. Um, the feedback you get from other people as well um, for making your child and granting your child the opportunity um, and allowing them the opportunity to get to know your child and to see how you do this. The benefits are enormous, not just for us, but for the broader community. And I'm sure I'm not, I'm not alone in feeling that our children can sometimes be very sidelined um, by family, by our communities, and just generally um, maybe not purposefully because people just don't think about it. And we have so many things we have to fight and battle for in our daily lives for our children, um, just for their basic needs to be met. That travel, especially locally within South Africa, we need to show we are here, we are present. We are deserving of the services and opportunities that neurotypical children and people take for granted. And our children and people with disabilities and who are differently abled have nothing to prove. They need to be a part of it like everybody else. And the more families show that we are willing to participate and to try, the more visible we become and we pave the way for others. And in that way, we're able to give feedback again to establishments and to other families on how everything can be improved, how it can be done better. But it's us advocating for our children because most of our children are not able to advocate for themselves. So within South Africa, many establishments have not actually considered accessibility um, to the extent that we need it to be. And the travel and tourism industry needs to see and experience all of our diversity. And that there's a huge market out there that they're not actually tapping into. Um, two weeks ago, we participated in the Otanico Wheelchair Challenge in George. And we were, it was amazing. Um, to see all of these people in wheelchairs, there were adults, children from schools, from organizations participating. The hotel we stayed in, I think, had seven or eight um, people in wheelchairs um, on the ground floor in all of the rooms with all of us greeting each other at breakfast and smiling and saying hello. We don't know these people from anywhere, <laughs> but there's a camaraderie that gets built in that. And these people have come from everywhere in the country to participate in this wheelchair challenge. So the potential for revenue and the potential for opportunity within South Africa for families to start traveling and people with disabilities is enormous. I think that's that that's such those such true words. You know, the increase in inclusion, diversity, the business sense it makes to for service providers to understand. And of course yes. the, the reality that our families our children with disabilities have the same rights and the same need, the wish, to yes. experience new things as any yes. anyone else does. 
Razia, thank you so much for joining us on A Different Way of Travelling today. It's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you, to learn a little bit about your life and about your daughter, Nura. And we wish you every success with the campaigning that you're doing to raise awareness of the need for adult changing tables. And maybe we can connect back in with you sometime in the future to see how that's going and see if we can do anything to help as well. But thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Lois, for the opportunity for allowing us to speak about our experiences, our challenges, um, the way forward, and giving us the opportunity and the platform as well. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I'm really grateful that Raza Hisham was willing to chat about some of the experiences that she and her family have had traveling with a child with special needs. I thought it was a great interview and that Razia shared some interesting insights with us. Now it's time for the Travel Tech Corner. In this segment, we usually share some devices or digital resources that help make traveling just that little bit easier for those of us who travel with disabilities. Today, I want to share two online resources with you to help with the planning and preparation phase that's so important in helping us make certain that we have all our questions answered and don't have any unpleasant surprises when we travel. The first is a community travel forum website, Accessible Travel Forum. You can find it on accessibletravelforum.com. The forums cover a huge number of different topics and locations, and the website is essentially a collection, a community of travelers with disabilities sharing information and answering questions about accessible venues, places, transit, and that type of thing. So that website again, Accessible Travel Forum, and it's available at accessibletravelforum.com. Oh, and if you're a blog writer, you can share your blogs on Accessible Travel Forum as well. The second site is a Facebook group called Accessible Travel Club. With over 9,000 members, it's a very active group. And I have to admit that there are times that I lose track of time as I dig into some of the very valuable questions and answers that are shared on the group. I'll share the link to the group in the show notes of this episode so you can find it easily. Both of these sites are really great resources for us as travelers and I'd encourage you to link to them and make use of their resources. I'd also encourage you to use them as a way of sharing information about your own location to help other travelers who may want to come visit the place where you stay. Today's travel quote is one that I can really resonate with and it's from American filmmaker, writer and philosopher Susan Sontag, who said, I haven't been everywhere, but it's on my list. From all of us here at A Different Way of Travelling podcast, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web, at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za or on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa 
or on Twitter at AccessibleSA. You can also email us at podcast at AccessibleSouthAfrica.co.za. Editing by Deirdre Gower. Our theme music is by Louis Chichao, based on a motif by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Andre de Toy, the big positive guy. Thanks for joining us on Accessible South Africa Travel Podcast. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy travels. Thank you.